Hello everyone, this is your host Arezu and welcome back to another episode of Arezu Art Podcast. That's a milestone, here we are in the 10th episode. I'm so thrilled to announce my next guest to you. For this 10th episode, I've decided to get out of animation community a little bit and bring on a special guest for you. As I have mentioned in my first episode, this podcast is going to be all about animation, also art in general. That's why I just thought to give you a little bit of change and my today's guest is special. Richie Beckett is a pen and ink illustrator based in Wales and he's mostly known for his highly detailed line works. He has many commissions from world's biggest bands such as Metallica. For those of you who know me, you know that's my favorite band of all time. Also The Doors, Foo Fighters, Black Sabbath and so many more other cool bands. He has also uh, created some great movie posters for TV series such as Game of Thrones and Walking Dead. In this episode we are going to talk about all Rich's journey from growing up in a creative family, having his own metal band and how he has helped him to get the commissions from other metal bands until he fully dedicated his life to illustration and designing posters and such. In this episode, Richie gives us great tips about getting commissions, licensing and copyright, which was really interesting for me, and doing conventions and art shows around the world and managing the business side of his career. He also points out his love for animation and Ray Harryhausen stop motion for the first time in this podcast. Last but not least, Richie talks about his recent experience on directing a music video for Joanna Warren. So please stay tuned as we're going to listen to a very cool interview with Richie Beckett, everyone. Hello, Richie. Thank you so much for accepting my invitation. I'm so glad to have you here today with me. Hey, it's an absolute pleasure. Very, very happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, sure. So um, tell me about like COVID and this crazy time. I know that you are living in a very intact nature and everything is just so green over there and you've been yeah. really lucky in that term so i just feel like that um i mean it wasn't that bad over there was it <laughs> i think even within yeah I, I mean i'm definitely very really fortunate to be where i am right now and that has not been lost on me at all you know I, i've in, in a way it hasn't affected me in in as much as i've still i can still work in my studio i can still go out for walks because there's no one really around who's going to notice i don't you know or in, interact with and even uh even my closest town is not very densely populated so you can still be respectful to people's space and and uh it's kind of business as usual in a lot of ways but um i know for you know I've got friends who live in London and it's a completely different story for them. Friends who live in New York, friends, you know, big cities, it's really hard to come to terms with how it's affected a lot of them and their families. So I've tried to not try to just be appreciative of, of, of having the freedom I have at the moment, you know, and kind of, yeah, yeah, Yeah. (laughs) say thanks for it every day and, and, and take advantage of those things and being, you know, don't feel not feeling too guilty about it, but, but I'm saying I, I, actually I I um, the, the the other reason I'm I feel really thankful is that 
earlier this year I was just about to leave and I was about to leave this house and tour the world for the whole year. I had plans to go out and do art shows in in New York, in uh, Australia, in uh, all, all over the States, all over Europe. I yeah. was going to do different cities, art shows yeah. like that. And then um, thankfully the timing, it could have been a disaster if if I'd already left even a few weeks earlier and then COVID oh, happened. I I would have been there. All the shows would be cancelled. I wouldn't have a home to go to. I wouldn't have anything. You 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 become uh, kind of trapped in middle of nowhere. (laughs) Yeah, it was real tight. And and as it turned out, all of that happened just before I left. I managed to hang on to the house and come scurrying back to safety, and I've been here ever since. And just you know, changed my plans on on the spot really, and and thought about a different way of working. And um, a lot of people had said, friends of mine and people who knew I had these big plans of, of touring and traveling would thought that I would be really upset about it and but I don't know I, I feel actually that I once I realized that wasn't happening I feel I, I'm pretty adaptable to just changing and thinking okay let's take on this new reality that we have presented to us and figure out what we're going to do with that and put our energies into different things and it's actually been really cool and just doing a lot of homesteading back here growing vegetables and trying to be more self-sufficient nice and, nice it, I, yeah the 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 idea that people have to fend for themselves a bit more and the things that you take for granted the supermarkets and all of the stuff that all of us have become so just dependent on realizing that that might not be there or is is not always you you shouldn't really be be so dependable upon these things which have you know, in many ways been taken taken away and um being is it's not that hard to to you know you've got to be in the right environment for it but um there's certain ways you can be more self-sufficient and grow your own food cook your own food that's amazing you're so lucky in that um yeah i mean it's uh this time i think uh can show everyone to kind of re-evaluate things and see like how much the stuff that they're just using daily is really like they really need it kind of or like and, and where in the world you are i mean sometimes i mean i think this covid thought a lot of people so many things what what as you mentioned like one of the things is that you can't really take things for granted and you have to be really grateful for every every simple things you had i mean like your health your the roof that you have over your head or such you know your job and it's yeah i mean it's just so um I mean, I I really love your positivity when you were talking about that. So that's really amazing. I mean, the approach you had towards it. So really nice. Yeah. Definitely. Thank you. It it, it definitely has made me even more appreciative of being able to do the kind of work I do, being, being able to do work that I love and do it independently and not really have to, there's, there's no one telling me that I can't go to work because I, you know, I just, I, I <laughs> yeah. live and work in the same place and, and, and set my own schedule. So, um, yeah. managed to pretty much stay on track with all of that stuff. Yeah. Just for audience to know, uh, you're living in, uh, South Wales somewhere as it's Payne's castle. Am I right? Yeah. It's, it's a little further North. So it's kind of in the middle. It's, it's in, north. Like, okay. more, well, more like mid Wales. It's right on the border between Wales and England. So the supermarket down the road, the closest supermarket is actually in England. So you cross the border to you. You wouldn't <laughs> you're crossing the border, but it's that it's that close to the border. And um, yeah, it's just it's just above, just north of the Black Mountains and the Brecon Beacons and those sort of big mountain ranges. And yeah, it's quite beautiful. 
it's a nice nice spot yeah i mean um sometimes you post about yeah, like the places that you go and um yeah i mean having talked about like living in cities uh where i live is totally like a big uh it's the, like capital city polluted noisy mm. so and i used to like travel a lot as well and uh it's almost like a year man like i've i haven't go anywhere and i miss nature so much like mm. uh, i mean i think i would literally like hug a tree or just i don't know roll on the grasses if i yeah, see ha- anything soon you know yeah i'm just I, like waiting I, yeah fr- from living you know i grew up in towns and cities but from living out here now i really struggle to go back to a, to a city. I, I almost feel like I feel suffocated as a, a sort of panic sets in um, being surrounded by so much concrete and bricks and mortar. And I, if, if I'm out here and I'm looking across the land and there are no, and you can't see any buildings or houses, trying to then project forward the idea that, that someone, obviously it's happened to us over centuries, but looking at that land and then imagining, hey, we're just going to level all of this and we're just going to build, we're going to lay down roads, we're going to build skyscrapers and office blocks until you can't see any more trees or grass or anything, which has happened obviously in places like London. And I know they try to bring parks and things back in, but looking at it that way, and I can't help but look at it that way now, makes me feel really strange about them visiting those places. And I could, I, if I go to London, I can do it for maybe a day, but I want to get in and out and come home. You know, I, yeah. yeah, I really struggle. Yeah, I totally understand. Uh, because even even by the time I was living in Bournemouth, uh, it, it felt the same, like coming from a polluted and like crazy city to somewhere near beach and the same sea and the, I mean, the soothing sound of the nature. I was like, when I was just coming back home, I was like, Oh man, I mean, there are so many cars that I can't really like. What you, what you just say? You kind of like panic when you want to go back to that kind of, uh, I don't know, the reality of living in a city and all that. So yeah, crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So can you please just tell me a little bit about your background? Like, uh, I just feel like somehow artistic genes run into your family. So your cousins, your grandfather, your father, sort yeah. of where. Uh, Sort of like artists, uh, I believe. So. Uh, yeah, it's definitely brought up in a um, in a creative household where um, my, my father painted. Uh, he, he he would paint sailing ships and big cats and uh, you know lions and tigers and stuff. Um, although he he always would dispute that he had any artistic skill. He'd kind of kind of make a bit of a joke about his paintings, but they were really cool. And I always loved them and found them really inspiring. And even when I've seen them now, they're still really good, but he never see, saw himself as as a skilled painter, even though he he really was. But I think it's because he'd often copy things. He'd copy from other paintings or other, and so he didn't want to take credit for it, but he he definitely had some uh, some really great skills. And I've been trying to encourage him to get back into it. But- um, Wonderful. Yeah, I hope I think he should. Yeah. And uh, and my yeah, my uncle painted. My cousin is uh, is a great um, illustrator. Um, he that was very inspiring. Um, yeah, so it kind of ran through ran in my family de- that it was definitely open the idea. I think it's a lot to do with being brought up where those things are shown to you as being completely achievable as in you can be the people who make the stuff you know you don't have to just Mm. consume and view stuff from the outside we can actually make this stuff we can make images and I always found that 
really compelling when I was a child. I remember that feeling and it's the same reason I do it now. I just thought it was like some sort of magic that you could have pen and paper and create anything you wanted. So I could watch a movie with some characters in it or some monsters or whatever the thing was. And then once the movie was over, I could pick up a blank piece of paper and a cheap pen and recreate those images if I wanted yeah. to. And I could never yeah. quite understand why everyone didn't do this all the time. You know, I wouldn't, why would you not <laughs> do that? Why would you want to pay, pay for someone to entertain you and do it for you on your, you know, or, or I like, I get it. I understand, I, you know, I would enjoy buying comic books and watching movies, but there was always for me, I was more interested in how those things were made above yeah. even watching them. You know, I'd like, I'd watch, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'd watch the movies and watch um, and look at, look at comic books but it was more the, the comic books I was into. I was never into Marvel and DC and those sort of comic books. It was more like the Beano and the Dandy and those very British. Yeah. Menace and stuff like that. And I loved it when I was a kid. And I I had a, my grandmother got us a subscription to it. So I'd have it every week. And I remember really studying those panels of cartoons. And even though they're real goofy looking cartoons, which you might not attribute to the kind of style I draw in now, but to me, it's a, the same principles. It, it's the reason probably that I draw primarily on just black and white line. Everything's very line based, you know, and if I think yeah, about yeah, yeah. those cartoons, it, it translates in my mind as being der derivative of the same art form in some way, you know, and, and uh, yeah. so, yeah, it might. So my journey through is definitely growing up in a very creative household. My, my dad plays lots of instruments, so there were always guitars hanging on the walls. Cool. All the pianos in the house and just instruments around that he would just grab and play and we'd all dabble a little bit and I played guitar and um they, they were always encouraged to make things and create things he had a photographic little photographic studio thing under the oh, stairs cool. so yeah all of those different disciplines you could kind of explore if you wanted and and I always felt very open to be able to do that and then as I got older I would just draw, I was a super reclusive child, I think. I was not very confident in school or very, very Aww. insular. And I very much would enjoy spending drawing. by myself drawing. Yeah, and I think yeah. that my voice, not, I wasn't very good at articulating myself vocally. And, um, but I realized I could draw things and hopefully draw some extraordinary things that would interest people and got, I remember just a, a huge thrill in doing that as a child and always having all I ever wanted was just pens and paper I was happy with that you know I didn't I uh, was more interested in that than any other toys and stuff you know? and I then see. throughout throughout school I, I was always super into just drawing and projects and you know making making my own stories and comic books and posters and all of that stuff that was always my thing and then I specialized in that when I was in school and then I did go to art school ultimately so, I and, and when I was in art school I did graphic design actually I did foundation and I did three years graphic design and I also cool. did it at a level in, in film studies at the same time so fantastic yeah it's it's really cool because as you were just talking about that I can imagine you right now the rich in 2020 and yeah. your current the how it's all connected like filmmaking graphic 
illustration and yeah. music and all that so it's really cool so um were you also like drawing your teachers and stuff because i i used to do that as well like in school i always like somewhere in the like in my notes books i always like uh, drawing this caricature of my teachers and all that so it was one of the fun things that i used to do as a kid as well yeah drawing caricatures I remember getting, getting sent to, the only time I got ever in trouble in school is I got sent to the headmaster's office for drawing really, really <laughs> <laughs> not very flattering caricatures of my school friends, kind of Beano style, mad magazine, quite insulting, <laughs> exaggerated <laughs> uh, caricatures of my friends. And I ended up getting sent to the headmaster's office and had to explain myself. And I went back home and told my parents the bad news that I'd been sent to the headmasters or maybe they wrote to the wrote home about it and my parents they were <laughs> they, they were quite supportive of me actually they said well that's just what you do you know you're a, you're an artist you're an illustrator that's you you know just you're a the creative character. creative mind you shouldn't be shy about it right <laughs> yeah yeah it was a bit you know, looking back but yeah but, I know you know, you don't think about that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, like crazy. That's why I really like to talk about a little bit of past of everyone, because when you just look back, I mean, back in the time that you had to like have a subscription to the magazines and waiting for a week for it to come and then see all the comics and stuff and then go yeah. to your room and just being busy for a whole, I don't know, week with that it's just really interesting to when you just kind of look back because right now things are just really fast and everything just happening quickly oh, so, so true. yeah yeah so you, you, you kind of forgot that uh it was only like maybe 30 years ago that everything was like this that you have to literally <laughs> like wait for an yeah, uh, it's really interesting because another guest of mine also were talking about that. He was back in Canada, but uh, he had like the same thing, waiting for a subscription of the magazine to come and all that. And even I can feel yeah. associated with that as well, which is really interesting. So, yeah. Yeah, so, so much has been lost, you know, waiting for records to be released, but then having to go and buy a physical record. It's the classic thing that... I it's so, and I'm just as guilty as anyone for just consuming records digitally now. And and I wish I could. Uh, I mean, there there aren't really record stores around like there used to be. And and yeah. I, I wish I I, I want to make a real conscious point of that. Actually, trying to support music in the in the physical form a bit more because mm -hmm. I I've definitely neglected it out of convenience and and indulgence in just digital uh listening to things and not actually getting the physical item and it go when i think back to those times of being a teenager again super obsessed with music and going to the record shop to get the new release feeling it before you've heard it you're feeling it in your hands and you're smelling the cardboard and the finish exactly on the printing and and yeah. you know pouring over the, the the images but also reading all the details about where it was made who was involved what band other the bands lyrics all of these different things lyrics the just yeah. the smells and colors and the whole package and experiencing that and consuming that before you even listen to the record and it's such an interesting beautiful process of going through those levels and so much is, of that has been lost and and it's it's upsetting as well because obviously for, for me this is a big entry point into art is was always making record covers that was always the yeah yeah thing because it's got a such a cool marriage of of art and music and I went I definitely went the music route 
to get in after art college i i played music for a long time and really neglected the art and um i'm not a great musician but i love it and i i've managed to find a way back in through making art for music where i can indulge that love in a different way yeah just wait over here so you you are just being humble so i actually think you actually had a real band back in the time you were yeah like you were playing like a real band what weren't yeah, you i, I kind of keep it on the on the quiet generally because i haven't really had much crossover ah, come on. <laughs> between the people who follow my art don't really um apart from old friends and things most people don't make the connection between the art and the music as in me as a musician but the way it actually went was i finished art school um around 2000 or so or two, 2000 2001 i guess i'd kind of wrapped up the art the four years of art school and i yeah i did foundation graph and then graphic design um i didn't study i i, I would have liked to study illustration but they didn't have an illustration course there so i did graphic mm -hmm. design learned a lot yeah. with that and like i said did the film studies at the same time but when i came out of it i was firstly i was really burnt out on making art because it was a really intense course and there's just a lot of every single day you know there's no time off really and um I, I felt kind of burnt out on it and a bit didn't quite know where i wanted to take it and the way i've always done things and i still do now is move towards the thing that's exciting and compelling to you at the time rather than trying to force yourself into something that you're not excited about okay. that's how you're going to get the best workout but what i was excited about at that time was music and i loved it and i was going to lots of gigs hardcore shows metal shows sort of underground shows and all sorts of stuff and get tapping into that local scene and making lots of new friends and i had started to learn to, by that point I, I knew how to play guitar kind of but um uh, <laughs> i super swept away with that i mean i'd had bands when i was in school real kind of goofy bands but um <laughs> kind of stupid stuff but, but i'd done it i got friends at school and we had bands and played in garages and this and that never really played shows but then eventually got into that in art school a little bit and then by the time i left art school i was felt like i was ready to start a serious band and pursue it seriously and i did then around 2001 i think i started started a band with some friends in south wales called shaped by fate which was a kind mm -hmm. of chris obnoxious metal band kind of hot metalcore i guess you call it because it's the, yeah. mass, really we're a metal band in the hardcore scene who, who is very much based around uh the songs were all about six or seven minutes long lots of twists and turns <laughs> most riffs would come in and not really repeat themselves it would just be really uh aggressive but fun i think and and oh can i sorry it kind of had your youth anger into it <laughs> or everything i don't know i don't think i was that the i don't personally for me i don't think i've ever been that angry but i like oh, okay. the thrill i like the thrill of it you know i like the the challenge of really pushing hard at an extreme of something to say okay let's try and come up with the heaviest riff or the fastest riff or the most uh fun exciting it was more about excitement i think and and the shows okay. we played was super energetic and aggressive and we we'd we'd set ourselves this bar i probably as the definite ringleader had probably done it really but i always set this bar that you know if we play a show it has to sell out and it's going to be complete carnage and we do a big campaign building up to playing shows you know it was never just on we'd never just show up and play it would be we'd make a real big deal of it for ourselves and and really uh promote it a lot and and put up there's a, there was a lot of kind of kind of showmanship like a, around it in a way you know like like a like a real band yeah yeah 
yeah like a yeah. real big band that you just wanted to kind of go out there have the all the audience and give that thrill that you had to all the audience yeah. that you have all the headbanging yeah, energy going on we were a really cocky band and i think it probably got us in a lot of trouble with a lot of the hardcore kids who had different agendas but um but we did we did okay we did we we played i did that for 10 years and during that time didn't really wow. uh, didn't really make much artwork at all and we toured all over we we toured all over europe played everywhere but we went did like a month-long tour around europe a few other sh tours and in, in lots of big festivals in europe never made out to the states played all over the uk all the time and and uh put out two albums a bunch of eps um wow yeah, it was you know there's there's all sorts of press coverage and things out there that can tell you more about it but it's weird <laughs> I, i i tend to obsess so much on one thing at a time that Once I stopped doing that, I and converted to uh, focusing on illustration. I really went all in on the illustration and, and never really looked back. And I don't really think about that stuff too much now, the music stuff. But the way the yeah. way it, uh, the way it transpired was that when I was in that band mm -hmm. and I didn't have time, I was so busy doing the band stuff, writing music, playing shows. I, I didn't really have time to draw that much, and I kind of forgotten about it almost even though it was my main thing my whole the, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um but what had happened was I'd, i started um out of complete necessity had to make t-shirts for that band because we'd be going on tour and it, it would be like oh shit we need we need some shirts we need to get some merch ordered what are we going to do and i just knock up some illustration of something put it on the shirt get the shirts ordered then we go and play shows and what started happening was other bands we'd play with would see the shirts that we had and, and they oh who did Who made your shirts? And I'd be like, oh, oh, it was Richie. He did, he did. I'm going to have a word with him, you know. And and then Luke, the other guitarist in the band, Luke, he, he was he he just adopted this role of kind of being my manager of or agent um, without me even asking. He we'd play a show and the show he'd come up and say, oh hey, you've got like three more commissions for shirts now. <laughs> to to do this do a shirt for these three bands, and then I'd end up on the back of the tour bus. With my, I had a printer scanner, some of those cheap ones, kind of under one arm, and my sketchbook in the other arm, and I'd go and just play a show, and then just sit at the back of the bus. Whereas in the past, if we played a show, I we just all get wasted and just go out drinking. But it got to a point where instead I'd be at the back of the bus, furiously working on these shirt designs on tour, scanning them in, sending them to bands, and then at the same time we're playing shows, and I'm getting more commissions. And by the time it got to a point then where I'd get home from tour and I had so many commissions to do that I didn't really have so much room to for the band stuff that needed to happen and um the balance just tipped at one point where I realized I'd been given this second chance to pursue the thing that I knew I was good at you know like the, the music stuff yeah. I, and I'd work really really fucking hard at it but I was not that great at, I wasn't naturally there wasn't a natural language for me really you know I had to really push mm -hmm. myself to, to write music but and I always had this inner guilt that I'd kind of wasted or left behind the talent for drawing a little bit, you know? So when that mm. opportunity came up and people were coming to me then 10 years later, asking me to make art for them again, I jumped on it and, and uh, started making a ton of art, doing t-shirts and then, the you know, you go from t-shirts is level one and then record covers is level two, you know, you kind of, you have those little uh, achievements you want to unlock of trying to do work in that realm of, of music related art and, 
then I was doing a lot of record covers. It got to a point where ultimately that took over and then I had to step away from the band and everyone in the back. I mean, it was kind of a shitty move because we just recorded <laughs> a record that we spent invested four years in writing and recording and oh wow yeah put it out and then I was like uh boys um I think Uh. (laughs) and they couldn't really do it without me because I was for whatever reasons but I tried to encourage them to carry on but thankfully they were they're all really beautiful people who uh totally understood and got it and supported my decision and said no we totally see it we know we we know we've seen what's happened we know you need to pursue this so go ahead and and uh that was it. I, and then that was around 2010. So okay. Go. Oh, I that was when I kind of committed full time to doing art. Okay. So I haven't really taken. You know, I didn't do the the straight course of doing art school straight into a job. Uh, it was on. I took ten years away of just <laughs> just. Yeah, which is really interesting. I mean, I'm I'm pretty sure that all your band members are real proud of you at the moment, and they. We're yeah. really yeah yeah it's really interesting actually it was so 10 years ago then but I, I I when you were just as you were speaking I could have imagined like all this uh, old school bus touring around Europe and UK and all that and I, I was imagining you in the back of the bus in the middle of the night with a like a lamp and doing yeah, yeah. all the drawings and all sort of that you know so which I mean it just gave me a very beautiful image in my head no you know yeah um yeah and um yeah I, would I, I remember being in you know backstage rooms at the show and everyone's getting larry and drinking and uh, you know that was what it was like for a long time yeah i'd be in the corner trying not to get beer spilt on my sketch you know and then just working i working on these pieces of artwork and i remember one of the first ones that was real big for me um uh, i worked on a record cover for the uh, band called Victims from Sweden, who friends of mine, and uh, but they were on, on the, it was released on Deathwish Records, which was so cool to me because I was such a big fan of Converge and Deathwish as a, as a whole, and so I knew, and I knew that uh, Jacob Bannon from Deathwish, lead singer of Converge, who was such a hero of mine, I knew that he, he was the guy who'd be overseeing the artwork for this record, and I remember that being so excited to be backstage at this show that my band was playing but I was there in the corner working on this really important thing that was so important to me to get that record cover done and not get distracted by all the nonsense that was going around you know not get pulled away from it and get that record cover done get it scanned in and sent off having to find somewhere to scan it on tour and all of this stuff um and then fast forward to now and I'm I've worked with Jake regularly and now the the I'm putting work out through Deathwish as well so it's kind of come cool. it's really interesting thinking I haven't thought about that in a long time but it's interesting thinking back to those turning points of tapping into that world and uh yeah trying, but yeah, but, <laughs> yeah I, I think I think actually I I just feel like going through all the experience of, of you yourself being uh part of the band also sort of help does does it I mean affect you as an art illustrator and artist because you uh kind of know what sort of like things a band might looking for or what yes. are they taste yes. yeah. and yeah exactly. can you tell me about that like yeah 100% yeah I've 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 always been conscious of that maybe being uh being a big benefit of having lived that life and being on the other side of it and and because mm-hmm. when, when I was doing it I had this strange compulsion to not make I I never wanted to make art for my own band I wanted to be in a position where I could 
take advantage of being able to commission other artists outside to come in and, and make artwork for that band. So I, I definitely know what it's like being on the other side. I know how important it is to you. So if I get a, an email from a band who will say, hey, we've been working on this record, we're about to put it out and, and uh, we'd love for you to make the artwork for it. I, I'll be able to take a step back from that and think, okay, these guys have probably been working on this for a long, long time and they've invested a lot of time and energy and passion and importance into this yeah. thing. And they're coming to me and saying to me, we want you to be the torchbearer for this visually. We want you to create something that's going to mm. visually represent this thing that's very precious to us. And uh, trying to put myself in that position and, and realize the weight of that. And um, yeah, just to be hopefully listen to what they're trying to achieve with it and get on board with it and become part of that campaign you know so yeah yeah, yeah. It's to to bring their visions to life and i don't know yeah to life and try to kind of sell their album in a way because yeah, yeah. i mean they say like don't judge a book by its cover but definitely in <laughs> your case well, we you, de we you definitely do. should judge it by the cover <laughs> judge yeah, an album by its cover that, that the idea, it, the idea of not judging book by its cover is a beautiful sentiment. <laughs> we do. You, but, you but no. There's no way you can help that. And sometimes the aesthetic, <laughs> the aesthetic, the aesthetic, there are there are records which are not great records but have great covers, and that's really helped sell them. I think you know historically, and you want to give it the best shot. I think if if a if a great record has a weak cover, then it's really starting on you know the back know. foot. It's got a long way to go to prove itself. But if you can take the take the thing that exists and then uh, let it blossom visually into something compelling and exciting and intriguing and strange. It's a, yeah, it's a good thing. Yeah, definitely judge really like. album covers by <laughs> their cover. So yeah, yeah. actually uh, I, I had like two questions. One is like, uh, can you also like tell me, as you were just talking, you mentioned that you start with your, like making art for your own band and then your friends kind of recommend you to other bands which are probably were like I don't know smaller bands and how does it like take you little by little and were you just working with a pen and ink all the time so it was your thing yeah, from the very think, beginning yeah and I think I've always uh, I I I, th I feel like I went full circle from being as a child I always used black pens, black marker pens, very little color. And I was more interested. I was never very interested in painting or very good at painting. And I'm still not very good mm -hmm, at painting. Mm -hmm. I, it's just something to do with the way my mind works. And it's likely because I grew up reading Beano comics where there was very little, yeah. uh, maybe no color in them. And it was all about lines defining characters. And it wasn't yeah. very three-dimensional either. It was very two-dimensional, which I think is true of my artwork. I try and keep it intentionally, almost keep it flat. Like I, I'm not interested in mm. perspective. Three-dimensional. Really. Uh, there are layers. There are layers in there, but it's not really perspective. There's not distance in it. You know, it's just layers of flat image, the way I think of it. And I think that comes from my dialogue in art being coming from those places of maybe even, you know, Bible illustrations and things like that, but things which are more iconography of just flat images of stained glass windows or those sort of, I don't know, mm. things like that I feel I grew up around, which maybe informed it. And then as a kid, I'd always just use black pen. And then obviously going into art school, you get to, they, they, they give you this sort of taste test of all of these different things that you might be into and say, oh, hey, try a bit of design and try a bit of Photoshop and try modeling something out of clay and to see what you like. And I did that. I did all mm. of that. And at the end of it, when I came back to working in, 
it was kind of the same style I'd worked with before art school. Really, yeah, I learned a lot in art school, but it didn't change my language of how I, how I relate to art or what I think my voice is. And and so when I did start to do that, the band artwork, it was always I didn't really think twice about it. It was always yeah, black pen and ink, uh, bold mm-hmm. lines, cross hatching and stippling, all of those those skills I I picked up that had become my vocabulary for it. Um, and I'm st- yeah, I still kind of I find it hard to break out of that set of rules really so yeah it was much drawing pen black I like I do like to set rules to things so it's very much drawing black pen and ink scan the image in color it digitally which is kind of strange to me because I've always been very cautious about using digital methods but the way I thought of it is more the uh, it's almost a painting by numbers by that point you know I'm, I'm 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 really filling existing areas that I've already created and just harnessed those areas and then just filling clicking and filling them with color so it's not it's more just a finning, finishing touch and I think of that that photoshop realm section of it more like it's more part of the printing process than it is the art process because okay. yeah, yeah, yeah I get it think about it like old if you look back at like the old Metallica t-shirts the the, the puss head ones the way that he would do them is he I've seen some of the original illustrations and the and he'd draw draw out the illustration black pen and ink then he'd have a piece of vellum or tracing paper over the top and then he'd mm-hmm. out green red yellow just labeled what the colors would be and then it would go to print and they just print those colors in those areas you know they just mm, uh, okay so he wouldn't even he this is as far as i can tell from looking at those he might not even know what the colors would exactly be in terms of the tone it would just be like light purple dark you know lime green ah uh, yeah yeah in- it could be like water whatever light green whatever like yeah, yeah there are you- so many like color color codes it depends on like what uh, the printer pick or whatever yeah yeah so it's, I'd like to, so I kind of think of it in that way to me finishing the illustration is you're mostly there and then I think of the coloration bit being part of the print process really rather than the art process yeah I mean uh, I, I also wanted to ask about colors as well because um, I just feel like uh, uh, while you're doing this so uh, you do most of the colors in Photoshop as you mentioned so um, do you also like uh, you you mostly like go for like monochrome colors or something like with only like one or two colors your color palette is so limited so I want to know like uh, do you uh, also like think about a color as a sort of like a symbol or a like a final touch to your work or something like that or you just like yeah it's um, whatever it's funny how it's so powerful that it can i ideally the 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 way the way that i want the color to work is that it's like if you're making a record if you're recording a record and you record the music and then you take it into the studio and then you eq and master the record you know so you just you're going to crank the levels you're going to crank the high end crank the bass and let the song really come to life so that's mm-hmm. where i see the coloring process for me so that i've 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 already made the song and then we're just going to crank the eq on it and part of that is patching in these colors and letting them come to life and sometimes the way i usually do it is i'll go in and i'll add many more colors than I think I'm going to need and then I start to take them away again you know so I'll add maybe 10 colors really overdo it (laughs) really crank it and then slowly take them away till I'm left with three or four and then that's my final step but um what I what I've always really liked I like to apply rules to things I find it feels better to me I get very anxious about 
too many permutations and options in anything really but in art if, if there are too many options on the table I struggle with that and that's also a reason I think I'm very nervous about digital technology because anything is possible there's no there's no anything can be any size or any color or and, and I don't know where that ends and whereas if you've got phys a physical pen and paper you, it's full of limitations and that feels interesting, good interesting so, yeah. so in a similar way I think that's why I've taken to screen printing over digital printing because if it was digital print even though I have done a little bit of that recently but I get very nervous about it because you, obviously you can print anything whereas with screen print the the very nature of it especially historically is how much can we achieve with three colors you know and i love that i like that challenge and what it's done is it, it encourages you it encourages you to work in you've got to really play smart with it you've got to come up with clever ways of using those three colors so you you might say how about if the paper color is a red or a brown or mm, something yeah. that, that is a color then as well you know you, your background color your paper i never really print on white paper i'll always make that a color so then you've got this extra level of economy because if you knock out a section and have it be the paper cut showing through depending on the colors surrounding it it can read as a different color in a way you know and that if, if you can get that to work and you can economically use three or four colors and a paper color and a key line layer mm -hmm. it's, it's exciting and it challenges you to just see what can be achieved and it's the same with so many great so many art forms, whether it's film or music or illustration or design, a lot of the coolest shit is made under extreme limitations where people have found clever ways of adapting to yeah. it. You know, rather than give, being given free reign to make whatever they want and then they just lose their way and you end up with just a sprawling mess of ideas. <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting because like uh, sometimes this sort of like limitations um, make you to think more cleverly to kind of like solve the, I don't know, the problem or whatever is in front of you, which is really interesting. So yeah, um, you also mentioned that by the time you were like in art school, they uh, were trying to give you a little bit of everything and trying to um, learn like different techniques, styles or art forms. Um, I want to know like, uh, from looking at your work right now you can see some elements that are like sort of like repeating in your work like I just feel like your art style is really similar to art novo if you want to go to like the history of art and it has a lot of like uh, um, elements of foliage, foliage leaves of uh, flowers nature um, I, I, which which I sort of like feel like that it's because of uh, the place that you are living you're surrounded by the beautiful nature yeah. so it can be inspiring sure. for you but uh also you were sort of like mentioning that maybe these images of uh bible or, or all the i don't yeah. know the scenes and all that well, yeah for sure and i think it's you know part of it is to do with just if you're an observant person and if, if you're someone who uh, i think for me it, it goes hand in hand with the idea of being maybe quite a quiet child and quite introverted but being very observant so even though i'm i'm keeping myself to myself i'm watching everything and i remember being walking as a kid and being told that i need to look up and not look because i'd be studying everything on the ground and picking things up and taking them home with me and drawing them <laughs> and um <laughs> it's to do with that observation and i still have it now where 
I'll go for walks with friends of mine and maybe spot things that they haven't spotted anywhere. Yeah, but not yeah, yeah. Out here, but it could be anywhere. And I, I've got this, there's always this little motor running, I think, in my mind of of, of logging things and studying things, even if I don't realize I'm doing it. So if I stumble on something like Art Nouveau or... I remember being in school and seeing those certain art forms pop up or in art, in, in art school mm-hmm. and certain styles resonate with you for whatever reason. And you, st- and I suppose part of that is that whatever journey you've individually been on a stuff, stuff that's really sparked some excitement in you. And maybe that was it. Maybe it's a, a progression of starting out with those thick, bold lines that I saw in the comic books and then, seeing some of these illustrations is almost a development from that where the same methods have been applied it's all about how can we tell a story within a space within a confined space so if you took something like a a MUCA Art Nouveau poster Mm -hmm. he's still got the same challenges you might have if you were drawing a Dennis the Menace comic book panel it's like how can we tell a story and show something aesthetically visually communicative Mm -hmm. in this space but obviously the art nouveau has this explosive flair to it which is super exciting because my other thing the other thing i I think for me personally in terms of my language of how i think of illustration is very similar to when when i was writing music as i described to you the music was six minute long songs where with 20 different riffs in it and just a bombardment of things and it was very much a, supposed to be this a kind of spe- audio spectacle of of, of mm-hmm. uh, offerings and when I started getting more and more into illustration I think I took a very similar approach so I try and just fill a page with as many different patterns and details and things as I could and I can push that and, and make it you know try and make something that has a some sort of spectacular nature to it and an Art Nouveau is all about that really it's very indulgent and flamboyant I suppose that the Art Nouveau stuff kind of goes hand in hand with the religious stuff too because a lot of those religious stories if you've got someone like uh Gustave Doré or, or Albert Durer or those sort of illustrators making these yeah. Inter- engravings they're they're they are really selling something you know, i think it all goes hand in hand record covers gig posters biblical illustrations um yeah and and, and mooka making these big flamboyant uh theater posters it's kind of the same thing because if someone's commissioned back in 1200 or something to make an illustration for a bible really they're being commissioned to sell a story in a, the most spectacular way they can so yeah. they're very over the top and very lavish and indulgent and explosive and it's very cinematic. And so I think all of those things, even though there's uh, centuries separating them, they're kind of performing the same task in a way. I, I mean, taking a taking a thread of a story and trying to display it in, a, in an explosive kind of delicious way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting because like uh, even in, I studied graphic design too so when it's like different different commissions so back in that time like Adora or I don't know uh, they, they had like these commissions from maybe uh, church or something but you got the yeah. same thing but for the bands that what what is similar between all of them is the fact that um, you have to you're supposed to tell a story in a like I don't know as you said like a, a epic way or in a detailed way and a layering different things and layering different ideas into just one image that you can mm-hmm. just sell it to the audience sort of yeah yeah <laughs> storytelling is something i often come back to and i think it ties for me and the way that i like art to be or the kind of art that i like and i like to create is 
very rooted in um, cinema and storytelling. The, that, like as, as a kid, I had an equal love of film and cinema as I did for art in a way, but I thought of the two as sort of the same thing. And, you know, uh, also, like I, like I said earlier about that idea of world building within your, create, having the blank page and be able to create anything you want so you can build mm -hmm. a world if you want to. And, and it's very much based in storytelling. And I think when I think about even gig posters is the, the main thing I've done for the last couple of years rather than record covers, um, just because they're a bit more you get a lot more freedom in them than you would a record cover as we touched upon is there's a lot invested in it from a lot of different people and there's a lot of pressure there's a lot of people to who you want to please uh, uh whereas a gig post is very open it's just this transient thing where it's just interesting it just looks cool and sell you can't you are you still have to yeah i mean you're very clearly selling something you're selling the show but um it's it's really opening and, and forgiving in terms of you you have you, a lot of you, freedom yeah you have a lot of like creative freedom the within that yeah the, the the gig poster brief is very often just make something that looks cool and as long as it's not something that contradicts the image of the band too much kind of anything goes so it's a nice playground for just trying things out but at the same time for me i like to within that space tell a story in a way have a lot of movement in it is important to me I, I never think of the image being static and I get kind of crazy about it if it looks too static I want it to have there's some posters I've done that I'm not so happy with and feel very static and that's usually my main issue with them if I feel like I've not lived up to what I'd set out for is often if if it feels static and still and doesn't tell a story and what I'm aiming for is for it to feel feel like it's hypnotically moving in front of you even if it's I mean it's obviously not but <laughs> even i think in the level of details that you put into your work uh, it has a lot of story for me as well like i mean wh whenever i see a poster from you um i it's not like you just see a poster and just say okay that's a poster you just want to kind of like zoom in and see all the details and all that like uh again what you mentioned about observation i can literally like feel that you have observed leaves or i don't know like trees and flowers and everything from a very like closely you know so yeah. you can feel all those like i, I don't know i don't know what it's called is it veins or something all those tiny I, money yeah there's, there's so much uh so much to be endlessly studied with that because I'll, I'll often, like I said, I, 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 I'm always observing things. And if I, if I take a, a walk outside, which I do every day, uh, I'll pick up different things that I see and study things. And if I find, um, I'll, I'll find re relationships between things where, you know, that, that structure that you're thinking about there with that, the, the, in, it, with the veins in the leaf, you can zoom out and see it in the shape of the bush that it, if you if you take something like the uh, the bracken leaves which kind of look like a fern almost and i've done this before you can look at the leaf but then if you zoom into a smaller leaf it's the same structure and then you zoom into one little uh arm of that and it's the same structure and it's repeated and then if you zoom right out to the whole bush itself it's kind of the same structure and you see these patterns repeated and it's really interesting because if you study those and take yeah. them off you can then apply them to your own pattern making even if you're not drawing a leaf you can still apply the same ideas to it but it's this endless it's kind of an endless pursuit because just when you think you figured it out you will um like you could find feather and study it and try and decipher okay what how does the feather look what makes up the shape of it but then you'll find another feather that's completely different and you'll realize it's because depending on where on the bird that feather occurs it all has a different function so it's shaped differently and the 
every, every little hair faces a different way. And, and that's kind of exciting too, because then you realize you can forgive yourself for not ever truly figuring it out because you never could. There's just, it's endless. There's just so much out there. So it's, it then becomes more about not, not thinking that you have to reach a certain goal, but instead just um, realizing this is ongoing transient thing where whatever I go and study that one day, I might come back and put into an image and uh, use it as inspiration, but I might never address that again. I'll likely forget about it and then think about whatever's inspiring me the next day and try and not repeat myself and keep it. It feels a more interesting way to approach it, I think. Yeah, yeah. I, th I think also like uh, what you also mentioned in terms of your mind never just turns off and you are just constantly observing things or I mean, even if you are not with your like sketchbook or I don't know, like pen or something which in your head and in your mind, you are sort of like building these references in your head and trying to, I don't know, like, uh, and, and somehow it can be quite, it, it can be quite dangerous if you're, um, or not dangerous, but yeah, <laughs> I, I find myself sometimes looking if, if you're with a person and you'll st be chatting to them and then you start to just focus in on their fingernail or something like hmm, that's strange I've never because people are so different too the same as the plants and the feathers everyone you think you've understood a rule you'll see someone or you'll study you'll study books about anatomy and think okay this is what a hand looks like yeah. or you study your own hand and you think that's what a hand looks like because you've drawn it many times but then you'll be sitting talking to someone look at their hand and you'll realize their fingernails or their knuckles are, different. are completely different <laughs> to your own. And you'll be like, oh my God, wow, I need to learn this now. You know, this is like a whole other, a whole other version of this. And it's fascinating and beautiful in its own way. And it's got this endlessly fascinating shapes going on. And um, yeah, that, that, that definitely happens where you'll just be studying something. I remember that happening in school before this, one of my friends being really freaked out because I was just staring at his feet. And I remember him <laughs> stopping and he was talking. He just stopped talking. He's like, why are you staring at my feet? What, what's wrong with me or what's going on? And like, you just knew there was something strange. And I snapped out of it. I hadn't even realized. And I'd said, I'd said I just realized as he was walking, I was looking at the way every time, it was on, the I think, a hockey field. And every time his foot touched the ground, this little plume of dust would come up like a little kind of billow of smoke from his feet. And it was really beautiful and fascinating. And I couldn't stop staring at it. And I didn't even realize I was doing it until he called me out. And he was, I was like, oh no, I was just, just watching you kick up this dust you didn't want want to be creepy or anything yeah he didn't get it at all. it was really strange yeah it has happened to me as well like uh, even like in the street when you are just looking at people you just realize oh they have like different noses or different i don't know the lips moves differently so it, it becomes sometimes creepy when you are that's why sunglasses really help so <laughs> wear your sunglasses yeah. and you just stare at people and observe them and everything so <laughs> so now that you also cover a little bit of uh, commissions so can you also like tell me about your like the business parts of yeah. your work so um, which uh, I want to know like uh, because uh, you make I think most of your money from your print so I want to know like big bands that have like um, they are like a brand, so you've worked with, I don't know, Metallica, Mastodon, Queens of Stone Age, I guess, and uh, Foo Fighters. Uh, so um, how does that work? Be uh, do they, like, when they commission you, do they uh, get the own right of your work, or uh, it's like you... Yeah, it depends. Uh Generally, it, re it, it's really, it really differs project to project, and I think of each... Uh, I approach each one on its own terms very much, and for me... Is about, and I think this goes for anyone. You you have to adapt 
to suit the style of work you make and the way you work and the amount of time you spend on things because I know artists out there who make posters and t-shirt designs and they work incredibly quickly so they can they can uh, do commissions at a certain rate and just go on volume and just smash out work whereas because of the nature of the way that I work it's, it's very labor intensive and I generally work very slowly I just my pace is very slow and I like to spend I, I'll probably spend as much time sitting staring at the illustration as I do actually <laughs> with pen on paper I'll, I'll, I'll spend a lot of time just figuring things out before I commit to something so if if someone approaches me and says hey we want you to make this poster for our gig but we'll only pay you a few hundred dollars but it's going to take me a month to draw or something like that you know uh, then that's obviously not I can't make a living out of that so the way I always do it is try and factor in like you said the prints is really where it is for me because I can get a lot more mileage out of any project so the same goes for record covers if I if I do a record cover even for a bigger major label type band where I'm getting paid a higher rate the amount of work mm -hmm. that I want to put into it is still not going to quite balance out against that rate and I'm not but once again I can really earn a living from that but what I'll do is when they approach me I'll ask them can we write into the licensing contract to allow me to make because usually in most cases that the the band will then own the license to the artwork not so much the posters but definitely the record covers you know they'll, they'll yeah. own that license so I can't ever print it or get mileage out of it myself so I'll try and factor that in as part of the deal and say hey can, mm. uh, you, you will obviously own the license for it but so to make it worth my while can I print a hundred prints maybe limited, limited edition, edition prints so as an art as an artist's print and and uh, I've never had a problem with that no one ever you know everyone's always been cool with that because kind of because they don't really care it doesn't make any difference to them as long as I'm not consistently doing it and I'm not using their name you know I'm just uh, using the artwork as a one-time thing 100 mm -hmm. prints is nothing to them but it's everything to me so um, yeah I, I can make enough to money out of that to then take me to the next job and yeah it's, you can have your expenses for a month that. or so yeah yeah and I feel good about that interaction that relationship and I like there's something fulfilling about not just being commissioned to do it but also being able to sell the prints and connect with people who are going to then enjoy the artwork directly um, it's a nice little extension to the job so usually I've been very fortunate that most of the bands I work with I, I've worked with directly rather than I don't tend to do so much stuff through management it's always a lot more direct I think which is really mm -hmm. fortunate and really nice and uh, so which gives me even a little bit more leverage as well I suppose in, in figuring having the confidence to figure out those kind of deals and I try and just be really straight up and I, I used to in the past I went through phases of trying to be very professional and set up contracts and licensing and these days I've, I've always drift back into really doing things on a handshake and I don't unless they ask for a contract or there's one in, in within the label or something I'll honor that, but from my side of it, I don't really do it. I'll, I'll, ev everything is generally done on a handshake and goodwill, and I've never run into any trouble from that. And I like it to be that way. I think it's, it's cool. Interesting. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think it's also because you are a well-established artist at the moment. So whenever I think someone comes to you for a commission, so um, they definitely have to stick to their rules and all sort of that. So yeah, I mean, things will be generally okay, <laughs> I guess. Yeah, and I suppose yeah. it's that thing of they kind of know what they're going to get in a way. Mm. But, you know, they've if they if 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 you're established enough that you have a, a 
sort of a recognizable style and they go to you saying knowing mm -hmm. okay we, uh, we've got a pretty good idea of what we're going to get here or you've already established a relationship with them is is pretty helpful yeah but um you also always like whatever commission you get um you also like worked for uh game of thrones or a few other uh i don't know yeah, yeah like what, bigger, what else like did you work I, I did uh, most of those so yeah i did the like game of thrones and uh Walking Dead and things like that. Mm, and some, no, some TV stuff. series, yeah. Yeah, uh, that's generally... So the Game of Thrones artwork was through Mondo. Who uh, Are you familiar with Mondo at all? That So they're based in Austin, Texas. And, and about probably about a decade ago now, they, they started out making... Uh, working... They, they started at a cinema, uh, the Alamo Draft House in Austin, and they started making posters for usually older movies, famous movies. They... Mm. The, the studios and managed to get licensed to make screen printed posters and, and that's a huge thing now but when they did it they were the guys who kind of pioneered that culture of, of ah, you know limited edition one-time printed collectible screen printed 18 by 24 or 24 by 36 actually for movie posters 24 by 36 movie posters and they get in contemporary new artists to reimagine what a movie poster might look like for maybe Star Wars movie something older they managed to you know, they were bold enough to approach 20th Century Fox and Warner Brothers, all these studios and ask them. And the studios, I guess, were responded well to it because they realized, hey, this is there might be a movie that's been sitting on the shelf for years for them. They don't really make money from or, or have interest in. And th these guys can shine a light on some old, you know, an older movie uh, property. Mm. So that, that really took off for them. And they were really the pioneers of that culture of the, the collectible movie poster thing. So. I'd always I'd followed their work for a long time and then eventually got asked. Uh, I mean, the, the, I never thought it would even ever be a thing for me, but um, yeah, always dreamed of working with them. And then eventually I, I got invited to work with them on a few different things and have uh, they're all really good friends of mine now who I've you know, I've gone out. Uh, they do. They also do a, a festival out there, Mondo Con every year, which I haven't been able to do this recently, but um, so I got go out, go out to Austin and visit them out there and do the convention with them. But they they're the ones who did the they put on a, uh, a gallery show in Austin for Game of Thrones when season two was launched, and then okay. all of the artists involved in those movie posters they said to us, you know, you can draw any any character from Game of Thrones and we'll get it done as a light officially licensed poster. The one uh, I did, The Walking Dead, which was with um, uh, a gallery, a hero complex gallery, I think it was. So I did that with. So, so uh, I guess the answer to the question is that those the movie properties and those the TV series properties are generally through an established gallery or collect people who put out those sort of posters who will they'll go out and seek the license, then they'll curate the artists to do it and put out on a very limited capacity. And they're interested in projects because you get such more than you ever would with record covers or anything like that because the licenses are so detailed and strict. It's an interesting challenge because you you, you might think that if you're licensed to print, if someone says, oh, you can uh, you can make a Star Wars poster or a good a good example, uh, Tyler Stout, who was one of the um, artists who did a lot of the early Mondo posters and really uh, started that. He, he was one of their main sort of pioneers of uh, certain styles in that realm mm -hmm. but he um he recently did a poster for the the terminator the original schwarzenegger cameron terminator movie but he he didn't have the license 
he had the license to make the poster, but you don't get the license to use Arnold Schwarzenegger's image in it because that's a separate yeah. license, you know? So uh, the, the the Schwarzenegger estate or whoever his agent is holds the license for his face or his image. So he can make an official Terminator movie poster with the studio and he can have Linda Hamilton in it and Michael Biehn and any, any other characters, but he cannot show Arnie in the poster. And that drives yeah. all the fans. They're like... Why would you not draw him in the poster? They don't necessarily realize you can't because the licensing is very detailed and very strict. Yeah, weird. Yeah. Get the, you, you might be able to do a, a licensed poster for a certain movie, but you won't, every individual actor will be represented by a different uh, agency. So you won't necessarily be able to draw all of them in it. So there's a yeah. lot of hoops jump through and there's a lot of rules. Uh, there was a, a, a guy recently did a poster for Mondo for The Shining, but they couldn't have Jack Nicholson in it. It happens all mm. the time. And it's funny because yeah. if you're working as a, a lot of illustrators who are doing unlicensed you know, bootleg posters for their favorite movies and maybe putting them out, they'll they draw whatever they want. They wouldn't they'd be like, Yeah, terminate a poster, let's put Arnie front and center, and they're not gonna even think about it. And maybe the poster's great and maybe they sell a ton of them, but the studio's not involved in it and hasn't sanctioned it. And when you get to actually make the official one, you don't get to draw what you want. <laughs> you know, you gotta yeah. it's gotta it's got to hit a certain mark and you don't necessarily have the likeness rights for everyone. So it's, that is a whole other world, really. It's very way stricter than record covers or gig posters or any of that stuff. Yeah. Very interesting. Cause I had like legit no idea about license licensing and all that. And I never thought of like every individual actors mm. with, within like, with having in, an agency yeah, to represent crazy. them and all that. Yeah. And and it might be that also. So the other side of that would be maybe you do maybe you do have the license potentially to include uh, Schwarzenegger and these other characters in that Terminator poster or whatever the thing is, but they've also got to individually approve it. So you might make the poster, put the work in, deliver it, but then each of those different actors or their representatives have to approve it. So they might look at it and wow. you might say, hey she doesn't look as beautiful as we think she should in this, or he doesn't look as cool as we think he should, or whatever the reason is, or he doesn't look enough like him, or or he doesn't look like the way we want him to be, whoever this person is, you know, they, yeah. we, they, our actor, we, this is not how we want him to be perceived. So they yeah. might, it's for, for a lot of those agencies, often it's easier for them to it, it's maybe a safer play for them to not let this stuff out you know they do, it's more damaging to them to put out an image of an actor that they don't want to be seen that way so it's easier for them to say no it's not it's not happening you know so it, it, sometimes it's just a challenge of throwing it at them i had a uh, i recently did a poster for the doors which was a huge honor to do but that was one of those projects where it had to all be approved yeah. by the band and i went when I was asked to do it, I went headlong into it just with this concept of I'm going to draw all the four band members and these big profile shots and assumed that because it was officially sanctioned by the band that I could, I would have free reign to draw whatever I wanted. But it was mm -hmm. far from that. Well, the truth of it was they'd have to approve every every image, but also I could only reference photos that they owned the license to. And in, in most cases, most photos of Jim Morrison and of wow. the doors are owned by the, the photographers, not the band. Only a few are owned by the band. So I, I submitted a poster and then they'd say, wait a minute, what did you use for the reference? And I say, oh, I used these photos. And it's like, well, you, you, we can't do that because these photos belong to these photographers. They don't belong to the 
the doors. Ah. So in the end, they gave me only, I had something like four photos that they gave me, uh, which they knew they owned, which I could use. And it in the end, you've got to get in with the idea of, okay, this is a challenge. I'm, I don't get to do yeah. what I want. Being presented Definitely. with a challenge. And I've got to work within these constraints. And it may, you know, in, in the end, I end up making a poster that I would have never made otherwise and, and learned a lot of things. And it, like anything you've, in art or creativity, it's those constraints and challenges that are going to encourage you to push yourself further than you would if you were just allowed to draw whatever you want. Yeah. And I, I think in your case, because you just work with like uh, ink and pen, if you just go with one image and start drawing it and all that without just checking with them, I think you will. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that would be like a... <laughs> I yeah, I definitely fall into that for. I mean, with this, I, I drew Jim Morrison about five, six times and oh. it got approved because it was not it was not the version of Jim Morrison that they think they want the world to see, you know? So um, okay. it did. I thought they looked cool or I thought they looked like what I thought he would. There was this strange contradiction because they, they were, they, they wanted him to look like he did at that time. But actually at that time, he was a bit heavier set than he was in the way that we think of him being in those yeah. iconic photos. So there's this balancing act between, and I imagine it was the same for them, you know, trying to, trying to think, okay, we want him to look authentic to the time because the fans are going to know what he looked like when they made that record that the poster is for. But at the same time, they have a certain aesthetic in mind of what they think he looks like. So it's also got to tick that box. And it's really interesting because it makes me, I had to go way deeper on it to really study and look at him and think, okay, what is it? What are the things? It is almost going back to the caricature thing. It's almost like drawing a caricature or something. It's like, saying okay what it might not even be accurate to what he really looks like it might be more accurate to what people perceive him to be and what they want him to look yeah, like or yeah. what they remember him looking like so you and accentuating those features even if it's not accurate to the photo reference that you're using it's yeah really you just kind of want to give that sort of feeling that people um that image that they have in their head about that certain person sort of yeah. Yeah, and I I I feel like I had at some point in that process of that project there was, there was definitely a light bulb moment when I realized that where I was drawing these photos based on drawing drawing portraits based on these photos and then at some point because they kept getting rejected and I suddenly realized okay they actually want they want to see Jim Morrison in the way that people fans of the band see him and that we think of him rather than an authentic accurate version of exactly what he looked like at that time but you know it's it's more yeah. just of what we think of him being and and once I realized that I think I could lean further into it and yes yeah, it's, it's it's interesting it's a great it's a great challenge and that's it's often the re part of the reason I I know that at the moment if I wanted to well I I feel like if I wanted to at the moment I could just make art and sell prints of it and I wouldn't have to do commissions really because I could just because often my art prints sell better than the gig posters and the movie stuff if I if it's just a piece of art and I could do that but I know that I wouldn't be getting those challenges sent my way if I was just yeah, here by myself um just making artwork with complete yeah, free yeah, yeah. I could make some cool stuff probably but it's those challenges that push you into new realms you know so whether whether it's a licensing uh, image licensing thing or or restriction of the scale of the image or the c limited colors of screen print or any of those things gotta be yeah 
challenges to really learn some stuff. You you also like recently have this very huge landscape print, which is like really huge. So you you are just like standing and holding it. I don't know, is it for a band? I can't really yeah, remember. It for, but... uh, it was for Killswitch Engage. So it was, oh, their okay. last, it was their last record cover. And obviously the cover was just cropped to be a, a square center. Yes, expanded image um i think in the in the record you would fold the booklet out to show the whole image or i'm not sure actually mm. or maybe the cd is a digipack that opens but it wraps around you know the the artwork of the actual record but i was intended to make it a wider image so that they would have more flexibility and mileage out of it and they could use it in a lot of different ways and they made a huge i, I went to see them play up in bristol and they'd made a gigantic stage backdrop of the whole image which is super cool because i could i was just stand, i walked into the show and i went up by myself and just drove to birmingham by myself wandered in and it was kind of crazy because i'd been it's a weird thing about living here where i'm really isolated and then suddenly going to something like that where i've been just here squirreling away my work and just working on that artwork for a long time and then going to that show it was really trippy because i walked in and because of the kind of band they are, they're the kind of band who kids will go to the show, buy the T-shirt and wear the T-shirt that night at the show, like an Iron Maiden gig. I'm wearing you know? one. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so they'll go, so they go to the show and and I, I, I've walked in then and seen all of these kids there wearing my artwork on of that cover on their shirt and then this gigantic backdrop, of, yeah. which is really trippy because I, I know that the drawing itself is, quite small actually and and it's sitting at home in my studio and then <laughs> i've this gig and it's there on that huge backdrop but um that one so that's the, the the print that you're thinking of where i'm holding it up that's actually the smaller version of it there's an even bigger one which is the biggest print i've ever ah. made and i don't know yeah yeah it looks so huge yeah it's so like yeah, the, the bigger one is is i wouldn't be able to hold it for sure it, there's only i think 30 of them we made and it's just it would fill it's only people who've got the wall space to to fill a wall with it is but i just thought it'd be a cool fun thing to see yeah just to make a print that's just ridiculously obnoxiously big but um also because once again the deal i ran with that is i only get to print 100 of them so i, I i'm never going to be able to print this thing again how can i make the most out of it so i thought okay well let's do uh 70 which are this big and then another 30 which i are just huge and put them out into the world and see what happens and and actually people i wasn't sure if anyone would buy the giant ones because i didn't know if anyone would have room for them but they sold <laughs> better than the smaller ones i think but then i don't know if, often people look online and buy things they don't really read the size of it and maybe <laughs> for how actually gigantic yeah. it's going to be and how insane it would be to figure out framing something that big but they'll have a large package shipped to them so yeah yeah. <laughs> so, yeah um it's really interesting as you are talking like talking about all these challenges because a lot of like people might thought that okay i mean you're a graphic designer or illustrator or something and you just go and do all this posters and I don't know cover arts and all that for cool bands and that's it but it's really interesting to point out the challenges that uh, you have along the way as well so I just want to mention that in like 2017 you were also doing this uh, poster signing session for Metallica in London as well which I actually missed I, I've been to the boat shows um, that year but I missed the time that you were just doing uh, the signing session all yeah. that yeah 
Yeah, but I, I did get myself one of these T-shirts. Yeah, it was yeah. one of the coolest things um, I've seen. I think I, I do have one like a small print from you, a tiger patch that you have. Um, yeah, they were cool. also like, yeah, I mean, I still haven't used it for any vest or something, but I really love that one. And I think I, I do have another. I only did a small number of them and I've got one of each of them up on my shelf here and every now and again I'll look at them and I'm always kind of, uh, yeah, it's just, it's just a weird, different, interesting format to see your artwork translated into, to see it. There's something really fascinating about sending off that image in a simplified form and then seeing it being put through this, you know, whatever, whatever the uh, machine is that, that, that um, creates these woven patches and seeing it translated through that lens and then getting that thing at the other end, that kind of tactile fabric. Yeah, I love it. Fabric. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, yeah you, you, should, you should do more of patches, please. <laughs> I like, I like I'm, I'm, they're, just so, they're really tricky to figure out simplifying the image enough. That's oh, the key. Okay. You know, like I had to, because the style I work in, I guess, is quite detailed. And then the, the, the patches that had the best results are when I've taken a really simple, tiny element of a larger drawing and blown it up. And, you know, mm. if you saw the original piece of artwork that was based on it's really quite quite simple it's like, it has to be quite simplified to translate but uh, I see. another another cool fun challenge but that that um yeah. yeah metallica that metallica they i can't remember how that how we figured that out but yeah it was a sort of meet and greet poster signing type deal in the pop-up shop that they did and it was super nice it was lovely it was just beautiful just meeting so many people and and that's a nice experience from same as doing conventions. I'll try and do a convention maybe once or twice a year. And they're always really nerve wracking and scary because I don't spend so much time in such intensely sociable situations. But it's <laughs> important. I push myself to do it because it's so cool to actually to hit even, you know, like you're saying that now. Like, oh, I've got this patch. I've got that patch you made at home, you know, and like seeing where those things are that I've shipped out into the world and they've ended up. Yeah. In they're so there's so few of them they're so limited and and it's so nice then to and it's uh, just gather all over the world and people from all around the world got your work it's really i think a good oh, reminder yeah. for you to know that how much your art can get act across the world and a lot of different people might have know you and your art but you're just just simply sitting at your home in yeah. wales and doing your thing you know doing what you yeah. love but so that's suddenly, it it's nice to have yeah. It's nice to have those little reminders that from having conversations with people and they'll come up to you and say, oh, hey, I've got this print of yours, often one that I've forgotten I ever made. I've got this print in my living room and I see it every day. And that's intense. That's such a crazy thing to think that that's become part of the fabric of that person's life, that every day they'll sit having their dinner or whatever they're doing or get up in the morning and they'll see this image, which becomes part of their environment. And that's a really powerful and beautiful thing and to be reminded of of that that all of those especially because I up until recently I've always done all my own shipping as well so I'd pack and send out all of the tubes of prints and whatnot yeah. myself it's um otherwise I'm just sending them all off into a void of you know I don't know where if I could just send them off and never see them again but there's something nice when it comes back to you and someone will show up and or at a convention, someone will come up and say, oh, hey, I'm and I'll say their name and I'll remember. I was like, holy shit, you've been buying my prints for years. I, I've seen your name on all of these labels and they're usually surprised. I'll say, you know, often they'll be surprised that I know that because they maybe don't realize I sh and I'll be like, well, I shipped them all myself. So I know exactly who's, 
you know, I, I, I might have just this seen your name over and over. And then it's amazing when you put that name to a face and you meet that person and you realize you've got this cool connection that you didn't realize you had or, or they didn't realize that you were aware of. It's yeah, cool. I mean, I really love the fact that, you know, like for me, it's the same. Like I, whenever I draw, do whatever, I try to put like all my heart and energy into a piece of work. So I always like feel like this is like part of my soul that is traveling to somewhere else. So yeah. as you mentioned, so when you just see your, especially like original paintings, I would say like, because there are like your real I don't know the moment and the time that you just put your everything and emotions into that artwork so when it travels somewhere around the world you're like I, I always feel like there's it's a part of my soul and somewhere around the world so yeah. I always yeah. see it as a planting the seeds around the world and they just somehow mm. grow and yeah it's just so beautiful for me especially Absolutely. like again yeah, yeah yeah the process a lot of people do not like ship the works themselves or so uh, but I also do that myself so I mean the whole process is beautiful from the, the time that you're making your own artwork to the time that you just put the labels the name the address and mm. I always like found the addresses so interesting as well because it's really different from the way that we write addresses you know the numbers sometimes are so weird the names are so wacky so yeah. you start to realize these small places around the world and it's, it's really fun I mean the whole process is fun yeah I'm glad I've only only this year I finally given in to the idea that I should maybe delegate some other people to ship my work so that I can yeah. <clears throat> ideally spend only because I got to a point where I've done it for the last uh, seven or eight years and it's great for many of those reasons. There's something really beautiful about seeing, I'll see an order coming and I'll be like, holy shit, someone ordered uh, a print to go to Hong Kong or some, somewhere I never would have thought my work would end up or, or New Zealand or these far reaching places. And you'll see the list of different locations. And it's, it is like planting these different seeds of communication with people or inspiration yeah. or whatever impact hopefully it will have. And uh, there's something really exciting and interesting about seeing that spread geographically. Um, and seeing these different names and different locations they go into uh, that's been really beautiful and I'm glad I had the opportunity to do that and I'm glad that I did it and had that personal touch of doing it all myself and you know I always I always would make sure there's something extra to go in all of the prints you get like a bookmark or a little mini print or something yeah that stuff's really rewarding and fun but um it got to a point where I realized I was spending so much time sitting doing uh customer support basically where you know <laughs> dealing with customers who maybe a printer gone missing or got damaged or whatever the thing was or just given sending out packing yeah. codes one by one for hundreds of people and it got to a point where the balance just didn't feel right because i'd spend 90 percent of my time doing administration and 10 percent of it making art and say like, hang on i'm supposed to be a, I'm supposed to be this uh, illustrator artist now and uh, i'm just sitting I my see, I see. But, yeah so, so it got to a people point can where reach out to become yeah well because it's also a control thing of wanting to hang on to keep it under my roof and know what's going on and I'm not very good at delegating things I I tend to take everything on and do it myself so this year I finally have let that go so now I've got several different outlets for print work and it's and that's actually really nice it's a really nice feeling working with different people on that and having that level of trust between you to take care of it on end and it's really nice and it's incredibly freeing because in the past I do a print sale like I just did a Black Friday one recently and in the past I every year I do a big some sort of winter or Christmas print sale 
And once the print sale had happened, I knew then the whole rest of my month was going to be just spent packing prints. You know, no art was going to be made. And that's how it's been for years. Whereas this time we did it and I've got um, so, some... Uh, Relieved. Yeah. I, I did print sale <laughs> and the next day I get up and I'm like, holy shit, I didn't do anything. This is great. Mer- Merry Christmas. <laughs> yeah, so I can actually, you know, make some things now and, and uh, have a bit of freedom. So, yeah. Cool. Uh, let's talk about animation. So you said that you were also like interested in animation, which I didn't knew about it. Yeah, but since my spoke, podcast when, is... When you spoke to me and you said, hey, it's kind of, it's really an animation podcast, but it'd be cool to get you on. And I straight away was like, no, but I love animation. I'd be happy to. <laughs> I always, I'd, I had, when I was a kid, again, uh, I was always compelled by illustration but i was really into animation also i loved the old my favorite movies when i was a kid were the any of the ray harryhausen um greek myths and things so you know the either the uh clash of the titans was my favorite movie for sure Mm. um loved that with the medusa and the dioscles wolf and all these amazing characters and uh they had uh what he did like the the seven Voyages of Sinbad and yeah, all the Sinbad stuff, all the Greek mythology stuff, and um, Harry House and Jason and the Argonauts, the animated skeletons, that stuff as a kid, and still now, there's some very specific magic running through that. That those I loved a, lots of movies, but those movies with that specifically Ray Harry House and animations in them, I've actually got tattooed on my arm a, a Medusa and the two headed wolf ah. from those from those movies because they were, yeah, that was the long-standing obsession of mine as a kid. So I was super into that as a child, just that, that model animation. And there's some real magic to it. There's something it sparks in me when, when you see those movies and you see those, you know, I'd always be excited waiting for those characters to come on screen, these animated characters. And I think it was because, because I had such an interest in the, the making of those and how they, how that was achieved. I think when you see it come on screen, there was a subconscious part of you that knows the amount of work that's gone into it you know it's, it's not just a case of seeing it. Like, oh cool there's a harpy flying into the shot is there's there's a part of you that's running at the same time which is very aware someone has painstakingly spent weeks moving frame by frame to make this beautiful motion of this you know, pegasus or whatever and um i felt i was very aware of that and that maybe it increased my appreciation of those films but i always always loved those animated films and then um when I was a kid, I definitely had uh, flirted with that a little bit. I had my dad had a Super 8 camera up in the attic at some point, like everyone does. And I remember at some point asking him about it and uh, him explaining, oh, yeah, if you get the Super 8 camera and you plug in this little click in plunger, yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. take single frames. But I remember him saying to me, uh, he said, there's things you've got to be aware of is don't just take one frame take maybe three frames per frame because he'd done it before you know so he was like take maybe three frames at a time move the thing which would be you know probably like a, a plasticine model or a star wars toy or whatever i was trying to animate uh, and he and he said there's a, the important thing is there's a light meter on there and you've got to make sure the light meter is registered as as in the green or whatever otherwise it's not enough light but i took the camera to my friend's house who i'd you know rallied a few people together to get involved in making this animation and I set the cine camera up. I had to go and buy this old film to go in it. And then, which I think the films, 
two or three minutes long, put that in there, which is obviously a long time in animation, but they're only two or three minutes long, put the film in the camera, and then we got every light we possibly could find in the house, all these different desk lamps and everything piled in, made these plasticine models. But the light reading on the Super 8 camera still wasn't in the green. And I thought, oh, I must be broken or something because we got all of this light. But the, what actually happened, I did, and, and also with the clicking, with the frames, I'd, I was just taking one frame at a time because that felt right rather than doing three. So I went against all of my dad's advice, I suppose. But we did, we spent a couple of days animating these characters and they were all fighting and consuming each other and those like <laughs> talks coming in and all these different things um and then we got to the end of it and looked on the camera and it said it had only made 30 seconds of footage or something and we were like no nah, that can't be right i'm sure we filmed it felt like we filmed loads anyway we sent the sent the the tape off and then you've got to wait for like 3 weeks for them to send back you know a big reel of film then projector ah. and watch it back and when we came to watch it back it turned out Sure enough, it was just almost pitch black. They hadn't picked up any of the footage because it it was ac actually the light reading was accurate. All of those lamps had done jack shit, really. And uh, really, we needed daylight, I suppose. But the lights were not powerful enough. And me taking one frame at a time was not enough either. So what we ended up with was this tiny little burst of animation. You could barely see what was happening and it lasted for just a few seconds and it was almost pitch black and that was my first foray into animation it was a massive disaster and i destroyed all of the things we made but uh yeah how old were you at that time i guess i was in my early or mid-teens probably i was definitely in high okay. school at that point um yeah. but yeah trying to make those animations but yeah and then probably went back and did it again and learned a few more things and but it's such a pain doing it is super oh. it's it's a beautiful method, but it's also even more painstaking because you can't yeah. see back anything you're doing. You've got to just trust in what you're making and you won't see it for weeks, you know? Yeah, maybe you should try it right now because right now you can actually see what you're doing. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But you, yeah. you were mostly like into stop motion. Have you tried any sort of like other animation, like a 2D Not traditional really. ones or... I don't think so. I think I there was there was a period where I remember when I was in um, when I was in art school and we had to choose what to specialize in. And I was so close. It was be between graphic design or animation. And I was real mm. close. I, I remember going off to the sort of animation wing of the college and visiting them and having a look in that room. But it was so even by my standards, everything in that room was so sort of dark and intense and quiet. And I remember just stepping through them and everyone's just there in their own little world, just yeah. <laughs> redrawing these frame after frame. And I was like, I don't know if I want to spend my next three years doing that. Yeah, I, I yeah, yeah. More, um, as much as I love the method, I, I, I felt there was maybe a bit more scope. I think because I hadn't really decided what I wanted to do, so yeah. I thought if I do graphic design, that could be anything. It can take me anywhere. So, but I was close. I, I came real close to pursuing animation. But uh, realistically, knowing how slowly I work, I, I think that would have been almost impossible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because uh, it's either you have to like work in an industry which really needs uh, people to be fast, or either yeah. you have to make yeah. your own independent shorts and stuff, which can. Uh, it takes a lot of time and usually people who are doing it are doing something else 
by 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 side. So yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah. Uh, again, you you studied like film filmmaking, so which is still like close, but in a different so, like format. Yeah, but yeah, so yeah. Being... I mean, you can't really like have boundaries, or I don't know. You can't really tell. Yeah, it's it's like a uh, was a spectrum. So yeah. It's very much so. And I've I've actually recently really tried to, well, I, I find myself often trying to remind myself of that point, just, just to, just to reassure myself. I think it's a good thing to do to, to remember, you don't have to just categorize yourself on this one lane of saying, Hey, yeah. I'm an Australia. This is all I do. And this is my field. And I'm not going to do things. Cause actually the challenges that you can present to yourself by there's no to me there's no fun to be had in in repeating yourself and doing the same stuff and that's part of why having those challenges of certain different commissions coming up are, are interesting if i've ever created a piece of artwork and then just tried to replicate it and just play out the same thing again and i know like there's plenty of people who can make a career from honing a craft of a very specific thing and repeating it and that's really cool but for me i find if ever I've repeated myself, I kind of feel like I've, I don't know. You, stop. I, I guess, you, you, you start, sort of like stop yeah, or you like, have like creativity block or something like that, right? It's nice to be presented with a challenge and that could even take you into totally other art forms. And, and that's often more interesting to me. And I don't, yeah, I'm not that, I get kind of itchy about things. If like the fact that I spent 10 years making music and then after that period I got, I, I, I jumped over to, to making the, illustrated artwork and I've done that for 10 years now so I'm definitely in a place now where I'm very I, I don't know where I want to take it and I'm feeling strange about do I, I'm not seeing myself sitting at that drawing desk drawing uh, for yeah. long periods of time I want to do some different things and yeah yeah yeah. so that's why I uh, your recent project was a mu uh, music video for called Twisted for John Warren so I yeah. watched it and um I mean, I now that you just talk about like uh, putting yourself in a new challenge and all that, I think uh, it's where like yeah, you 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 were familiar with music, you are familiar with art and illustration, and you are familiar with like filmmaking and the process of that. So I just feel like at this point that we were speaking, so making that music video kind of combine all of them Absolutely. together. So, yeah, yeah, it was yeah. so. It was such a massive, it's a huge, huge challenge for me. And I, I definitely had a moment of that when, when, when Johanna had first said to me, uh, I'd asked her about the video and she, and she said, and, and I'd suggested we could find, bring some people together to make it over here. I hadn't thought about directing it at all. I was not that bold, but she said to me, you know, maybe you could direct it. And deep down, that's something I've always wanted to do. And I've always, since, since I was young, studied filmmaking even more than mm -hmm. film itself in a way and always really identified with filmmakers and yeah. very much think I do think of it as the same thing that same the the craft of creating any visual artwork it, like you say it's a it's a it's a spectrum where it's all actually related and a lot of it the communication there is is similar a lot of the techniques storytelling yeah I felt, exactly and I, and I I know that just even if I haven't studied as a film you know I've studied film a little bit but but really I've studied it my whole life myself you know so I, I but I kept swaying between having these moments of confidence in that but then having these huge moments of anxiety a couple of days before we shot that video I had this huge kind of anxiety breakdown of just thinking I'm what am I doing I'm not I'm not qualified to do this I haven't I'm not a filmmaker or a director you know how am I going to do it and 
when we got to do it and that being on set with it was a very small crew especially because of trying to do it at these times when everything had to be very strictly curated we had a really small crew but i'm going in there having never directed something before and i had to realize i had to kind of step up to the plate and realize okay i'm going to be the guy who calls action and cut on this and i'm going to be the guy who if everyone turns to you and asks what we're doing or make those decisions and i had a moments of thinking i don't know if do i have the confidence to do this do i do i actually have what it takes to command a room of people or whatever the command a, a set against the clock and all of these things but i actually once i got into it i loved i loved the experience of doing it and i felt i actually felt right at home in it because of like you said it's all of those different art forms are related and i realized hey i do know i do know what i want to see that's the important thing you know i'm 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 looking at this moment and once that conviction hits in and you realize like okay wait a minute i know this thing is wrong can we just shift this thing over can we light this thing a certain way or whatever the thing is yeah. Um, once you realize you you have a vision for it, which I had done for a long time because we'd spent a lot of time planning the shoot and I'd planned every scene as I wanted it. I knew exactly the timing of it and all of these things. And that, so those moments of knowing that that information was all there and I just had to communicate it does give you the confidence. And uh, yeah, it was just a, just a wonderful experience. And I definitely want to, I think that's my kind of highest excitement at the moment is, is filmmaking and it feels like the same um the, uh, the obviously that video was a very specific thing and it was a very specific story that was johanna's story that she brought to it that we wanted to tell but i yeah that, there's endless scope to what can be made and and i think that i definitely i i feel like all this, the, the 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 skills that i picked up from studying illustration or poster layout or animation or any of those things they they're all relevant too and can be brought into it and and there's something yeah. exciting about that i think coming from a different angle coming from an angle of uh working in the realm of two-dimensional poster design but having storytelling and movement in those and then saying oh hey wait a minute what if this actually really comes to life and i can actually have something that's a piece of uh moving film is yeah quite yeah fun. Uh, there, there was two things when, when I was watching the music video was that I just feel like it's so you was the uh, part that the feathers just falls off yeah. so because <laughs> there are so much feathers yeah. in your work. So Johanna and I, had, we basically for that video, we sourced all of the props ourselves, all of that. We, we built the set, did all the set dressing, the costumes, everything. And with, yeah. my, I'm sitting in now this studio for that whole month prior to the shoot was just full of things that we did brought together for it and at one point I bought uh, a big bag of feathers just <laughs> white feathers hundreds I knew of it. I remember saying to I was like I don't know why I don't know I why I, I feel they're gonna be important and it was actually that I do know the reason really it's because <laughs> I've always been a huge fan of Ridley Scott and when I was in art school I remember reading books about Ridley Scott and uh, when he made uh, the movie Legend which I know some of that footage was in Blade Runner 2. And uh, when he filmed Legend, because he wanted it to have this, and this is something that fed into my artwork, actually. This was like a big inspiration for me is when he made that movie, he would have people on the sides of the soundstage where they built these forest scenes to be ripping up bits of feathers and they'd be throwing them into these fans, which so that there were always these bits of feathers floating through the set and catching the light in interesting ways and giving it this mystical feel. And I've tried to use that inspiration in my illustrated work but uh, that was, I, was, I just had this thing of I need some feathers just in case and then I think we figured it out when we were 
I'm pretty sure we didn't have the idea until we were until we were shooting it and we hadn't quite figured out the ending of it and we knew we had to have this really poignant moment at the end and I'd said oh well, what about if if um yeah if the characters just have it, it was something to do with we we there's a lot of story behind that video and one of the things was the fact that if in that video the two characters are very disconnected from nature and they're very much that but their individual lives which are these polarities reflecting one another they don't you know it's very they they think they want the other person's life yeah but either of those lives have there's no element of nature in there um and they're very much controlled by expectations of the societal world that they're in and then it, finally at the end of the video they both sort of break free of those shackles and realize that um all of those influences they've really brought upon themselves and they've allowed into their lives it's something to do with that this is it, it's, it's, yeah. it's a moment of their, a reconnection to nature so we were trying to think of how to show that and we had different ideas of plants growing out of them and all these different things and it was a simpler way of doing it that we thought would be a nice little poignant moment at the end and very pretentious but we still <laughs> i knew it i mean i, I know you so well now. <laughs> yeah i mean it, it, it was the i mean by the time that the feathers were just falling off i was like oh they're so rich <laughs> yeah so, it's funny yeah. in that scene as well because there's so few of us doing the shoot we just had uh johanna and i um and then uh the the camera operator the director of photography the lighting guy that was it so there's only a very small crew and with this scene with the feathers i had to be uh, we <laughs> made this big kind of paddle thing out of a, one of the lighting rig pieces and i had to be on a step ladder and pile all of the feathers on top of it and if you were to zoom out and see the full shot it's basically it's me on a step ladder just slowly dropping feathers down <laughs> on johanna's head yeah and it worked great we did, we did only two takes for each of them and the second take each time worked out just right so, fantastic yeah, yeah cool, it's cool. Nice, yeah, just working working really spontaneously in that moment of just solving a problem figuring out a puzzle coming up with something cool and interesting giving yeah. it a shot and, yeah. yeah and i and i really love the fact that you were just sharing some of the uh behind the scenes footages that uh you mentioned that you were also like um basically doing everything from the scratch, like building a set or uh, even taking photos yeah. from the, the posters that were on the wall of the girl and everything. Yeah. So uh, you pay so attention fun. to all that sort of details, which is, I think, a very fun process. And uh, again, as we were talking, it's sort of like, I think, in this music video brought all those, I don't know, things that you've been experiencing into your life in exactly. one music video. Exactly. Yeah, yeah be, being able to play with because it's a yeah all of those different skills or uh, things of interest things of study it, it, you know that that same the same idea of going back to those you know being a child drawing comic book panels it's very it's the same thing it's it's world building character building and uh creating these scenes creating these environments but then also color plays a big part in it you, you know like so yeah, the yeah. same way the, the same way as if i'm making a gig poster i might say okay we're gonna have three colors in here and a black yeah. line and we're going to have gold you know so that might be it and there's only going to be blue and a darker blue and a red and a gold and then maybe a dark really i never really use black too much but it would be like a slightly off black key line so the same way as i might do that or have and then maybe have a you know brown paper i did the same thing with the video so when we yeah, were I noticed, bringing yeah. all the things in for the props 
for the set dressing, I'd I had a palette immediately. So I was like, okay, in this room, there's no, uh, there's not really any black. There's only, there's maybe, there's some brown as a sort of base color, but there was just going to be a sort of yeah. fuchsia pink color, uh, a sort of powder pink color. And then, um, so there's lots of gold in there. There's, but yeah. there's only something like four colors in the whole thing. And then um, gr there was no green in it. And then when we got on set, we put this one green light in there, which does. Yeah, I, I, I exactly actually yeah. recognize. I mean, I noticed that as well, that there is one green light and one red lighting. And again, uh, we talked about like how you use colors in your posters. So I also noticed that as well in your music video, that there are like only very few limited colors. And I yeah. realized that you use uh, a green and um red lighting for your uh mm. so yeah, yeah. that's great that's really good yeah <laughs> actually the green light i had to really push myself because i don't use green very often myself i've got a strange aversion to it red is always my go-to it's always been my favorite color and i've always always go to it and when we set up those lights um they said they have these dynamic lights where you can actually on a color wheel you can select any tone of color for that light to be it's not just a, a yeah. green bulb it could be any color of the rainbow and we already had the pinky red one at the back which i'd kind of picked out the color for and then they put the green one in and because it was so contradictory to everything else in yes. the set there's no green in there I, I instinctively hadn't chosen any it really just added this strange kind of almost like an anxiety to it that the, the, <laughs> just having that green present felt so uh, at odds with everything else and I took a moment looking at it and I had to force myself and say, let's, yeah, let's keep that color. Cause my instinct was like, no, let's, let's make it red or orange or we'll just bring it back in with these other earthy tones. And it was so, it, it added this strange vibration to the set having this green presence. So I was like, okay, let's keep it. I'm going to go against my instinct and try and push myself to be a bit more welcoming and just, yeah, crank those levels of, of movement and uh, tension. So yeah, it was, it was not, it was something that it's those things that seem so trivial and silly from one angle to be so worried about those things. But that is the same thing as trying to figure out a challenge with a poster design where you might take a leap by just using a color you wouldn't have used before, you know, or breaking yeah, yeah. rules. And if it's yeah. just on your own personal journey, it's a big deal. So that's, yeah. yeah. That, Very interesting because uh, I told you, like there was like two things that um, in particular, uh, caught my eyes while I was watching the thing that was feather and the usage of lighting. So I was like, yes, that's Richie Becker's directing the music. <laughs> yeah. So it was really fantastic talking with you, Richie. I think um, time is running up somehow. Um, so I really like to like for wrapping up what we just talking about because you are a very different guest from the previous guest that I have interviewed with. But but um, yeah, I mean, I mentioned that I really love your work. And I, honestly, like uh, as a 10th episode, I was thinking maybe how a little bit of change and um, bring us someone different rather than all the animation people, because most of the people are um, working in the industry and their work, um, mm. I mean, their work and lifestyle is very different from yours. Yeah. So I just thought it would be a very cool idea to have someone different uh, on my podcast. So um the very very beautiful things that I've um, heard in your other interviews was the fact that um, 
I mean, you learn a lot from nature and how it grows and how it evolves and how, uh, I mean, uh, adopt yourself and being flexible and all that. And all this positive energy somehow comes to your work as well, which is really beautiful. And I really admiring you and um, it's very funny like because uh, typically like people when think about you like, you tell them you're in a metal band or you listen to metal they think of you okay are you a crazy person you're like no I mean you know yeah. the typical mindset so as we are just speaking like we're two really calm people <laughs> uh, I know, <laughs> Having, like yes. in harmony with nature okay. and all that and uh, just yeah. enjoying all the beauty in life and all that so it's very like opposite to um, the typical mindset that a lot of people have that as well, which I hope um, it will break that image as well, because... Yeah, it's uh, interesting yeah. because I think that uh, a lot of people who, you know, I, I've met so many people at uh, metal music festivals and things like that who are, and a lot of people who collect the poster art come from that world, and they're so often the sweetest, kindest, most thoughtful people. And yeah. there's a reason for it. I, if I, my entry point into music and play, playing in that band and going to shows where people are beating the shit out of each other and, you know, it's incredibly violent and loud and obnoxious on the surface. But the reality of it is that it's often very quiet people who are trying to find their voice whether it's through art or music or yeah. screaming into a microphone or make making a I, you know I think that's why I got a thrill out of making a really loud sound through a guitar because I wasn't screaming at people in other ways so I think a I lot of that, it's just a balancing out of of different ways of communicating with the world and often people who are into the really obnoxiously heavy music is that is their way of just balancing out that they don't they're not screaming at people in real in normal life and they're true, not making themselves weird. so yeah it, it all balances out and i found that in that community it's a lot of the because they're people who are not running their mouths off shouting at people all the time actually and not yeah. and not uh, making themselves heard so much they're often the more thoughtful people who are spending yeah. time so true, so true. Yeah. It's funny because uh, I'm also a very calm person. Like I never like, you know, I, I I don't I don't really want to hurt anyone or anything, or I never shout at people. So even though, like, it rarely happens that you see me like angry. So maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Some very close people see me that angry, but when I listen to music, it's very like heavy, loud, and like <laughs> you know, trash metal or something. And a lot of times, like people, when they realize like my taste of music, it's like that. Oh, you don't look like a person yeah. that you listen to those kind of music. And I'm like, uh, okay, <laughs> but yeah. you're right. Like it's sort of like releasing that energy in an, another form of art. Um, and yeah, I mean, and the lyrics are mostly most of the times so deep i mean i found the i mean if you just see the lyric some of the bands not all of them of course but um sometimes um that i really like deep stuff about life and death and i don't know like yeah. society and all that so which is really fascinating so anyway it was really a pleasure talking with you and would you like to sort of like wrap it up say anything in the end or i don't know there are so many people out there listening to you from different parts of parts uh, of the world yeah. yeah i think um firstly thank you so much for having me on and inviting me on and it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you and um and I, I, yeah, it's really cool. The, like you said, it was, you know, it's predominantly animation based and it's yeah. even cooler than to be invited in. 
coming from a slightly different place. But um, in terms of a, a message, I guess, as, as you said, in, in those people working in those certain industries have certain ways of working and my way of working is radically different in many ways. And I think the thing that I often try and encourage in people, I get I get asked by, I get messages a lot from young illustrators who want to be doing similar work and um, want to figure out, okay, how do I get to 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 make artwork um, for these bands that I love or whatever the thing is. And I think the 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 thing that I've learned is that not to always have to compare yourself to an existing template that's been set out by another artist. Use that for inspiration. That's super important. And that is how art works best is by constantly those cycles of inspiration feeding from one another and being passed down through the ages. But um, at this, use those for inspiration, but don't feel restricted because i think it's a restriction if you if you say oh if i don't attain a certain thing or if i don't work in this way learn uh, play to your strengths and figure out okay what time of day do i work best what kind of jobs do i work best with what what materials do i work best with not not basing it on what materials someone else uses because it's different for everyone and 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 how do i but that should extend also to how do i create a deal with a client that works for me you know and yeah. then <laughs> but yeah. um and just give yourself that freedom to do that and realize that you actually are going to create your own path on your own terms and, and it doesn't have to match anything that's been done before really um but uh yeah so and i think that's important and i think that's something that i've that that's kind of what i've learned over time is to yeah just do it your own way and don't punish yourself over thinking that you have to do it the same way as someone else or you have to learn yeah because also in in that journey I've taken where I've gone from uh, doing art, then music and no art yeah. and, music, and then art again, I could have easily been completely disheartened by the idea that, oh, I've, I've kind of screwed things up because I should have been doing art during this time or I should have been studying life drawing or I should have been doing whatever the thing is. Uh, but whatever that strange journey I've been on has brought me here and allowed me to do the things I'm doing now. And it's not yeah. it's not the same as a ton of other people's journeys, but um, I don't really want to, I wouldn't want to change it. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing that as well. It's really a pleasure. And yeah, I mean, I totally enjoyed this interview and hearing all about your journey and all that. So yeah, and I would just also say, um, get back to nature as well, because I miss nature so much. I mean, legit, I'm going to hug a tree. <laughs> yeah, hug that tree. You need that tonic, you need that, yeah, it's important. Yeah, thank you. So um, goodbye and have a lovely rest of the day. Thanks again, thank you so much. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to this podcast. I personally truly enjoyed listening to Richard's journey. And it was so insightful to get to know more about his personal lifestyle, which I found rather cool, as well as many great tips that he gave. I hope that you enjoyed this podcast. If you do so, please do not forget to share, like, and comment on your favorite platform. You can find Arizu Art on Instagram, YouTube, and all the social media as well. Until next time, take care, and I see you very soon.